Hey, let's go, let's go. Stop where you are, let's go. Mary Caesar on the mixer today. Good to see you. Fold your hands, close your eyes, stop where you are. You don't have to move, stay where you are. Here we go, let's pray. Our Father, we, your children, are here at your disposals. Continue to use us to love your world by giving Jesus to us and through us and to each other and to the world. We beg that we would make it a better place. Pray, we pray to you, Heavenly Father, that our love for you and for others would grow and that your works in us would find their completion. Through Christ we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, I got uh, a zillion things, as always, to think about. Kirby, I love you. All right. The Justs are here, so that's always nice. Um, yeah, give them a little... Ra- now, if you want to go to Croatia with a handsome man and his beautiful wife, in a couple of weeks there's going to be some webinar thing where you can... You can, you, can, you, can, you can web in and, uh, hey, now I love you, but there's not going to be any talking during class, girls. Because I've taught confirmation before, and I know what this is like over here. If you want to go to Croatia, talk to Arthur Just. The hands of Pete Ladick will be here in a couple of weeks, you know, uh, so that'll be kind of fun, too. All right, that. Oktoberfest is Friday night. You don't necessarily have to come early because there'll be more food than you could ever imagine food there could be, right? There will be. So I think we bought for 350 people. Bring your friends. Have some fun. Drive here and drive home safely, and then everybody will be. Now, the one thing is um, we give you the chance to bring dessert. If you don't bring it, we'll buy it. But there's a sign-up board in the stairwell where all the sign-up boards are. If you want to make, say, cupcakes or something... Debbie, Rem, <laughs> for example. No, no, no pressure on Debbie. No, if you want to make something, sign up. If you don't sign up, then Lindsay's going to buy stuff. But so either way, but if you, you know, a few years people made their own beer, and you know now they're bring dessert, whatever. Okay, it's. Are people making microbrews? Lit. I love you. You know, I can't believe your wife lets you do that in your new garage, huh? She's basement. You know some of that stuff's explosive. Ah, she can't believe I said it out loud. Okay, never mind, Mrs. Licht. I was just teasing. It's all going to be okay. Um, all right, so bring dessert. Microbrews are coming. Go to Croatia with Arthur. I remember your face, but not the message. Sign up for what? Get your photos taken, for goodness sakes. You know, you don't know what to get your parents for Christmas. Get them a photo. Yes, Mr. Savitsky. Sounds like work's not faith, but okay. <laughs> Come early for the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, because Peter will let you... What's that? All right. Come, pl- come play early. The kids were nice this morning. That was good. Pipe organ's coming along. That's good. Um, stay tuned. There's a list of things $2 million long to do. So we'll keep you posted, okay? All right. Um, we're going to give some money in the basket. We might as well give it to Arthur. He's here. All right, if you put money in the basket, it'll go to Arthur. Uh, whatever. At least you'll see the direct connection. Should go through the books first, though. Okay. All good? Everything else is good? All right. So we kind of caught up last week, except for one thing. We'll come back around and do this.
But I was thinking about you this morning. I, you know, there's so much going on, and it just feels like. So this is what I do on my. Well, see you. On Saturday, when there's not the catechumen, I cherish my Saturdays because I get up early and read. I make a pot of coffee, try to keep the dog quiet, you know, don't muss around. And then so yesterday, you know, I sat down. What's the first thing that came up in my reading list of things to read? Are we ready for intimacy with robots? Okay, now just hold on. Now just hold on. Now here's the thing. The sex part is really not that interesting. What's really interesting is to read the, uh, the, the, the story of the guy who's in charge of this, who's kind of at the lead of this project. What's so interesting about it is it is our world. One of the things we're trying to do here is figure out how you can connect with the world. One of the problems is, is that we don't even know what the world is. It used to be that you could go to a university, and about 30 years later, what was being taught in a, in, a, in a graduate program, in a PhD program in a university, would kind of filter down this far, right? That has compressed uh, with the digital age, when information comes faster. And now things come so quickly. It's very hard for me to stump anybody under the age of 25 with anything current. Now, with older things, I'm stunned always that they have very little sense of history or kind of continuity. But the interesting thing is, especially with you know, Silicon Valley stuff and how things move and, and um, how things go, really, it's going to be okay. Don't worry. Really, really. This, all the Sternad kids are perfect. We know they're perfect. Don't worry. Um, things move so fast that if you don't sort of keep up on things like, are we ready for intimacy with robots? Let me just tell you, everybody under the age of 25 is. Now, what's so interesting about reading this I thought about printing it out for you, and I thought, you know, I can tell you about it, and if you wanted, I could certainly give it to you. I, you know, I get stuff like this, but I spend kind of the morning, sometimes till noon, reading all these things and trying to make sense of the world. What's so interesting about this guy is that he was sort of an outcast. He didn't know which. He's Japanese. He's about 55. He's kind of an outcast. He didn't know which way to go. It said a couple of times he recounted places where he was going to kill himself. Um, he sort of wanted to be an artist, but he was colorblind, and that sort of crimped him. So... He, um, as kind of revenge, began to write code because that was a place where he could be alone. Now, already you start to get the picture, right? And so um, he could achieve and be alone. And it's so interesting because on the way to this, the, the story leads with this thing about he has a five-year-old daughter, so he eventually did marry, but he has a five-year-old daughter. Now, here's the thing. In most cultures, this would be a restable offense, I think. But do you, do you know how do you know how the... Have you ever seen... Um, have you ever seen an artist where they plaster mask a person or how they make a death mask or how they make a silicon frame? So he had a five-year-old daughter, and um, it's horrible even to kind of think about it. They completely casted her in plastic or in, 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 in plaster, which means they leave. I've seen this done with artists where they leave. They left one hole for her nose, told her to lie still, be quiet, don't cry. And it took, it seemed like it took hours when I was reading this. And what's so interesting is, is they describe two things. How the, this girl at five was, they made a complete plaster cast of her. And then the initial robot was of his daughter. And there were two really interesting things. One is he said, his daughter has never spoken of the experience. Can I just kind of put that away? Here's a guy who's isolated, who thinks about killing himself, who writes code, who wants to have robots because he wants intimacy. And he's afraid of isolation and he has a five-year-old daughter, and instead of 
connecting with his five-year-old daughter, he uses her as a form to make a robot that he can connect with. So it's really interesting. They said his daughter has never spoken of that experience. And also, when she came to this robot, which was the exact clone of her the first time, she wept. Now, you put all that together, and of course, the title is sensational, you know, about the, the sex aspect. But he said he builds robots to cure his isolation. Isn't that interesting? And now we're all the way back to, hey, you know this. If you want to be right 99% of the time, people are lonely and unloved. And then you have this beautiful quote from Benedict today. Um, in, and, you know, I sort of think about this because it's also in the article we're going to read, the notion of beauty. You can't think without beauty, right? And so this great uh, quote from Benedict today which sort of blows up the whole notion um, of sort of coding being, you know, coding is genius. People who can write code and people who can um, think clearly, it's beautiful stuff. But Benedict, being overwhelmed by the beauty of Christ is a more real and profound kind of knowledge than would be mere rational deduction. This is why the sanctuary has to be beautiful. This is why the music has to be beautiful. This is why you need to be beautiful to each other. This is why you've got to get up early and appreciate the sunrise. Or if you don't get up early, then watch the sunset tonight. You can't understand the world without beauty. You can't, you can't soothe your soul with a robot. I mean, Nelson and Bukes have been genius about this in Friday morning. This is our constant conversation about the connection of person and body and gender and image. It's all we're talking about every day because this is where the lines are being drawn. I just talked to a guy this week who called me and said, you know, I have these friends and they've decided they live in New York City and they're Christian college grads, but they're having a child and they've decided to raise their child genderless, right? Now, this is very interesting, right? That you, that you so from, from, from go, you know, the notion is to raise a child genderless, you know, what does that mean? What does that mean for person, for body, for image, right? What does that mean for Christians? It's so interesting. The point of all this is, if you don't keep up and I don't keep up, we don't know how to bring these people into the church. One of the problems with the Missouri Center, one of the problems with us, right? I go to pastor's conferences. They're always trying to recruit people who look like us. You know how I always give you that heresy is just four degrees off true north, right? We're, we're going after mild heretics, Right? People who are having sex with robots are 180 degrees off true north, okay? (laughs) Right? But they need the baby Jesus too, and they're not even in our kin, right? We don't even think to ourselves, these are the people that we should go get. Now, I will tell you that some broad... So, you know, I've been thinking a lot about this and how we... Uh, then we, so we teach people to memorize. And if you, you know, sometimes when we talk about how you should love Jesus and tell people, you memorize a lot of things. And if they say A, you say B. And if they say C, you say D. It, it doesn't, it's not going to work. You know why? The questions are moving too fast. The answers are going to be different by noon. What you have to do, what you have to learn to do, this goes all the way back to the stuff last year from virtue over tribe. Right? So now I'm kind of thinking this year about virtue over tribe when it comes to thinking. What happens is, is whatever presuppositions you bring to engage the world, to engage other people, the most important thing is to see where those lead you. So if you're lonely and unloved 
and you put your life into creating a robot that you think will be your friend and as well as that you'll have sex with it, that takes you in a particular direction, the end of which is death, partly because you don't procreate, right? Just think of it kind of simply. Um, the world is moving so quickly. If you try to memorize a lot of answers, you'll never get there. What you do need to be able to do is to live in love, to appreciate beauty, to ask questions, right? To think clearly, to have a world that goes beyond a material view where the end of the universe is the end of my arm's reach. That is, that there's a God beyond us who we may not be able to get a measure on. And the most important thing for you to be able to do is to gather a couple of these things so you can engage right? Don't feel like you have to seal the deal. That's the Holy Spirit's work. But you at least have to be able to engage. And anybody over about the age of 25 or maybe 30, and you did this, because, heck, I know you were at Woodstock. You know, the thing is, is, you know, don't trust anybody over 30. This isn't anything new. But if you don't have the ability to sort of stand behind or think beneath the presuppositions to kind of see what's being assumed, I can cure my loneliness and still my restless heart if I code well enough. If I take a silicon form of my daughter, I mean, the answer is, how about instead of loving your, the, the robot that looks like your daughter, how about loving your daughter who can love you back? Who knows whether she can recover from being you know, completely encased in a coffin by both her parents at age five? Who knows what that does to a person, right? We're going to start slowly, and we'll, we'll, you know, we'll take an easy one first. This is like living in Wheaton. So the topic today is Jesus meets a neat Christian A-list know-it-all, right? Uh, you don't think this is funny, but I think it's hilarious. Because these, uh, let me just set the stage for you. Occasionally, I bump into somebody on the street in Wheaton who says, oh, you're Lutheran. Are you Christian? Right? <laughs> Neat Christian, A-list, know-it-all, okay? John 1, grab your Bible if you have one, okay? They're, they were, so we'll start with, this is how Jesus starts easily. And what Jesus wants to do is engage the presuppositions, right? What do you think is happening? How do you think the world is constructed? What do you believe in? What matters? What biases do you have? What are your prejudices? You have them, I have them. They need to be extant, and you need to be able to think clearly. You don't have to get it all the way right, but you do have to be able to play. You've got to be able to ask a question. You've got to be able to listen. You've got to be able to smell when something's not right. You have to be able to see when something's a false beauty rather than a true beauty. You have to see that everything is about the Eucharist. That's the center of the world. That's what you have to be able to see. And if you don't, then the prayer from Mother Teresa that's on the front of the bulletin doesn't really mean anything. Because if you don't learn... Love, listen, ask questions. Ah, the Lord can't have as much use of you as he would otherwise, okay? So um, here we go. This is uh, Jesus um, starts to walk, uh, 29 to 51. So, um, yeah, the next day, um, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? This great pointing, he must increase, I must decrease the... Isenheim altarpiece, right? Jesus beat to a pulp and all full of thorns, and 
John is still standing there going, he has to increase. That is the doornail on the cross, and I must decrease, right? The Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me. Now, this is weird because in Jewish society at this time, old people, it was a pecking order by age. Older people were more respected, higher level. John was born first. He was Jesus' older cousin. And so proper respect would go to the baptizer and not to, uh, not to Jesus. So John inverts this. For he was before me, right? You thought, you thought I was born three months ahead. Of, no, he's actually six months. He, he, he's actually older than I am. Jesus in John, before Abraham was, I am, right? The words from the burning bush. Um, I myself didn't know him, but for this I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend on him as a dove from heaven. It remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, he on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and I have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Okay? Just pause there for a second. I'm actually going to use the outline. I know this is a stunner for many of you who've been with me 20 years. But uh, here we go. So, uh, you know, number one, in the 21st century, how do, how do we continue to give a relevant witness to the only thing that ever really happened with apologies to Dorothy Sayers, who said the resurrection is the only thing that ever really happened. Right? So Jesus starts with this really simple case of a pious believer. You're going to meet him in a second, Nathaniel. But um, that doesn't guarantee that it's easy to engage people, even, even with people who are believers. Um, sidebar, you know, uh, every once in a while I'll, I'll bump into a student who will say, you know, what's, what's your goal in life? Like, I'm going to save the Catholics from going to hell. I'm like, okay, well, that, that should be easy since they're all going to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it takes, it takes a lot to damn a person. I mean, you sort of like find a, you know, so this is, you kind of want to, let's, we'll start small, but like, you might want to, yeah, I know about the 500th anniversary and, you know, I get it. Um, look, there's a single, I've said this to you a thousand times, there's a single thing on which the Reformation turns. It's whether Jesus does everything or whether you do your bit and Jesus does his bit and there's some combination. The great point of the Reformation is Jesus does everything and gives it to you as a gift, Right? Is that simple? Everything else you can live with. It's a single point the Reformation was fought on. Jesus does everything and gives it to you as a gift. If you get that right, everything works out. If you don't get that right, nothing works out. So kind of listen for that. But, um, you know, we'll, we'll sort of see what happens. The point of all this comes in the last verse 51, where Jesus basically says this. Heaven is open and you should come home. And I think... Uh, you know, you don't have to, with, sometimes with people, you know, not the argument, just the simple invitation. Heaven is open and you should come home. Why do you believe this? Because heaven is open and you should come home. Right? Why do you believe this? Because, because if you just watch where your presuppositions are going to take you about building a robot to calm your heart, it's not going to work out quite as well as saying the Jesus prayer 10,000 times a day. It's just not. Because I can introduce you to people who are building robots to cure their isolation. 
and I can introduce you to a monk on Athos or Bulgaria who prays without ceasing, and we can just sort of compare lives. Take the monk, right? So Jesus has a surprisingly clear invitation. Heaven is open. It's best for you to come home. And you remember then, I give you this from the large catechism. You know, so often, so, you know, so often we're just like so sharp with people. Go read the large catechism where Luther talks about the gospel lures us. The gospel attracts us. If it doesn't lure and doesn't attract, it's not the gospel. It's like, it's like bait in the water, right? The gospel lures us. And um, that's how most people are going to come to Jesus. They're going to come to Jesus because you ask them. Jesus shows you this, right? Why do they, why, why does, why, why do they follow? Because John says, you should see this. And Jesus says, I'll show you some stuff. By the way, I just want to say what a pleasure it is to come in in the morning and, you know, there's two or three new families standing around and I can say to some of you, hey, will you kind of absorb them and give them the lay of the land? Hey, I'm a used car salesman, okay? If I say this beauty with 128,000 miles, Bev, I can give you a deal. One owner, only driven to church, $19,000 just for you today. I, I mean, I'm selling my book. I'm talking my book, Right? But when you say, as happened two or three different times before the early service this morning, this is great, we'll take care of you, I love you. It, uh, you know, I talk to people after the service, they're stunned that anybody would engage them, right? I mean, it's my job to engage them, but when you engage them, it means everything. Please keep doing that. It's just, it's so, it's so wonderful, you can, hardly, you can hardly take it, right? And here it is in the text at verse 35. The next day, John, John was standing with two of his disciples, Okay, um, if you're a disciple, that means this guy's your rabbi. You never leave your rabbi. You die before you leave your rabbi, right? The technical word for disciple is somebody who sits in the dust, sits in the dirt at the feet of somebody and listens and repeats. You're known by your rabbi. If you can name your rabbi, it's like saying, I went to Harvard, right? You're known by, you're, it means something. So if you can say, he's my rabbi, it's the identifier. It's who you are. It's the nameplate on your car, Right? Okay, that's what's happening here. So this is, if you're a Jew and reading this, and John says what he's going to say, he's standing with two of his disciples, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which is to say, Behold the one we've always been waiting for. So this is the guy you should follow. Why should you follow this guy? You know, because the Holy Spirit left the temple in 430 BCE, when we were really, really bad and really, really pagan and God got tired of us. And you can go read in Ezekiel how the Spirit, it's one of the saddest chapters in the Bible. The Spirit comes up from the temple and he goes out through the gate. You who've been to, into Israel, okay, we're on the side toward, Gethsemane, uh, toward the Garden of Gethsemane. So he comes up from the temple. He goes down across the Kidron Valley. He goes up to the top of the hill, he turns around. This is how it's described. He sort of looks at Jerusalem and he turns his back and leaves. And Israel goes into captivity. If you won't have God one way, you'll have him another. Right? And so the promise of the Messiah was that the promise of the Holy Spirit would return. Ding, 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 ding. And so then... When John the baptizer says, I was baptizing and I saw the Holy Spirit descend and remain, he's basically saying 400 years of history just got unwound. This is the great reversal. 
in this person. The Holy Spirit descended and remained, right? So if you need the Holy Spirit, he's the dispenser of the Spirit. He's the dispenser of a new age. He's the dispenser of salvation, right? He's the Messiah, the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. He's the fulfillment of 2 Samuel 7, where it says, I'll have an eternal son on an eternal throne, and he'll rule Israel with love. This is the one we've always been waiting for. All that is jammed into John saying, behold the Lamb of God who takes away. And if you're a Jew, you'd hear this and you'd go, this is a big enough deal that you would leave your rabbi for it, which nobody ever did. Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following. And look at this, right? This is great. Question mark. If I could do one thing for the church right now, our church, our denomination, I would sell all of our periods and buy question marks. Right. That's what I would, I would sell periods and buy question marks. Because we're so sure of a lot of things that we put a, question, we put a period on the end of everything, especially when we tell people how wrong they are and how unfit they are. And Why would anybody think that Jesus would ever love them, period, right? And even our questions get to be rhetorical. That's not very helpful. Jesus turns to them, question mark, and says, what are you looking for? Now, in the Middle East, nobody asks a direct question. If you've been there, you know, you who were, did any of you, you guys, were you brave enough? Did you, when we were in Jerusalem, for example, did you go into the, because I know some of you did, you went into the bazaars and you back and forth and have a cup of tea and how about this? And you could use a couple of those and don't worry, we can ship that home for you. The nothing is ever direct. Right? And even if you ask a direct question, you're not going to get a direct answer. So it's, you know, when Jesus turns to them, there's some thing at play here. Hey, what are you, what are you looking for? Like, what are you doing? Why, why, you know, what, do you, what, what does this mean? And they said, Rabbi, very interesting, already. So John was their rabbi, and 10 seconds later, Jesus is their rabbi. Teacher, teach us something. We want to know something. Rabbi, which means teacher, hey, where are you going? Which has got to be something like, can we come along too, or have you got some time for us, or we'd like to settle in, or could we ask you a couple of questions? And he said to them, come and see, which is, yeah, okay, right? Um, They came and saw we were staying. They stayed with him that day. It was about the 10th hour. Um, you know, just whether or not you're on Roman or Jewish time here is a little bit of a question mark. Tenth hour Jewish time would be four. Um, if it's Roman time, it's early in the morning. Now, look what happens. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So look how the progression is. John says to Andrew, the Lamb of God. Now, Andrew says to Simon, the Lamb of God. 80, 85%, I don't, want the cur- I don't know what the current number is, but 80 or 85% of people in America come to church because you ask them to come. It doesn't have to do with advertising or door hanging or evangelism programs or anything else. Why? Today, as in the Middle East, what mattered was the quality of the person giving the witness. Right? You should believe, Bev, when she says, I like my church, you should come with me. I don't know if you should believe me or not. I work here. But you should believe her. Because of the quality of the person giving the witness matters. If Bev says, my church is great, I get the Eucharist, people love me there, they forgive me when I get it wrong, theoretically. And, um, <laughs> you know, 
People welcome me. There's a place for me. People know my name. People are kind to me. Your alternative is to, you know, go to the rec center and sign up for the Build-A-Robot Club. No, you should come here. The quality of the person in the Middle East is what matters. So John, who, by the way, interestingly, is working the crossroads of Jews and Gentiles, of the way of the sea, the Via Maris, and the King's Highway. So if you had luxury items or normal stuff, luxury items, myrrh, tea, silks from Arabia, northern Arabia, and you wanted to get them to buyers, it would come from Arabia down through what you know as Syria, down into what you know is kind of Israel and Jordan, and through on to Egypt, right? And there were two ways to go. One was you could split the road and you'd go down uh, to the east of the Jordan River, and the other way is you'd go over to the Mediterranean Sea. You who have, who've been to Israel, um, do you remember the place where it was said that Jesus was baptized? Do you remember this? Pretty reliable place, you know, right by the minefields. You remember. With the soldiers on the other side, with the machine guns? Yeah, you remember, right? That this, this is where he is. Ish. Okay. And this is where the people were because there's only so many spots where you can get across the Jordan River. Um, and as you get farther south, past Jabbok, there's only about three places between Jabbok and Jericho. So it's pretty well isolated. I mean, and you remember, you can remember that an F-16 flies from, you know, top to bottom in Israel like 12 seconds or something, right? Which is why the Israelis are always so nervous. It's not a long distance. So, I mean, you're close. You know, the exact point, maybe not, but just for fun, you should also remember that you're close or in the spot where Elijah was taken up to heaven in the fiery chariot. Ding, 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 ding. So right where Elijah was taken up, comes back John the prophet dressed in leather belt and camel hair and eating wild honey and acting like a crazy man out in the wilderness. Yes, sort of. This is a little like being a crazy man in Times Square. You're a crazy man with all sorts of people around you. So he, it's not that John is just kind of out there on his own. No, there's crowds here. Right? And he's attracting attention, and he's baptizing Jesus, and he's, the Spirit is coming down. And one of the Gospels says, you remember, when the crowd heard it, they, they thought it was a thunderclap. And now John explains, you need somebody to explain miracles to you often, or explain the event. Without the words, you wouldn't know that the Eucharist is the Eucharist. Without the words, you wouldn't know water makes a child of God. In the same way, John says, behold the Lamb of God. This is the guy. Follow him. Here we go, right? Okay, so um, where are you staying? What are you seeking? John to Andrew to Philip. Um, 41, he found his brother Simon and said to him, we found the Christed one, the oiled one. Hey, in the Old Testament reading today, Cyrus, my anointed. Crazy, right? The Lord has... The anointing literally means to pour oil on somebody, which is why your kids get oil at baptism. They get Christed. They get chrismed. That's why you get oil, because you're a little Christ, as Luther says. Why would you hold it back? Right? So to say that he is the Messiah, the Christ, the, 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 he, basically, the Lord has anointed him. Where? Well, he anointed him 
with spirit at his baptism, and then that wonderful woman who anointed his feet toward death. Kirby and I saw a gravestone once. I, you know, this wouldn't, if you die, I might put this on your gravestone. Okay. How much I love you. <laughs> Kirby and I both decided that we'd be willing to be buried in, like, just pine boxes. But if she goes first and I brought her here in a pine box, you know what you would say? Pfft, he never really loved her. <laughs> right? This we saw in an old graveyard on the East Coast. A woman who died in childbirth. She'd done what she could. That's what Jesus says of the woman in King James Version. After her, after her, after her, her after he anoints, she'd done what she, the people say, move her away. She's like, she'd done what she could. That is the kindest thing you could say about a person. Like if you get to heaven and Jesus says to you, thanks, you did what you could. That's like, that's a life, right? All right, so that's what's happening here. We found the Messiah, means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, so you're Simon, son of John. You'll be called Cephas, which means Peter. He changes, changes his, um, changes his uh, name to, to the rock, right? Okay. Now, kind of keep going, because that was easy, right? Um, I don't know if you should get full credit for that one. But the next one, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, found Philip and said to him, follow me, right? Which is, you know, just about the kindest thing you can say to a person. Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So now you all who have been there, think north. These four guys were locals. They were all together. They all trusted each other. They lived together. They knew each other. I mean, you, Nazareth was only a town of two or 300 people. There's no provenance from the Old Testament. It's, they could only support, like, the, you know, what you see today. It couldn't support that then. There's not enough water. There's not enough land. There's not enough food. It's a little dusty little place, which, of course, always makes you think about what it must have been like for the Blessed Virgin Mother and um, Joseph to return home with Jesus when everybody could count to nine, right? So these guys are locals, and they sort of know the score. Um, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets wrote. This is a little like saying, I just won the lottery for $640 million. Right? This is kind of what's going on here. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel said to him, what you often say when you bump into anybody under 25, unless you're under 25, can anything good come out of? <laughs> Fill in your blank. <laughs> right? I mean, if you just have a normal aversion to people who have a little bit of ink, you know? What I found one of the easiest things to do is to, I mean, like, the easiest ways to open a conversation with somebody who's all tatted up is just say, nice sleeves. You can, suddenly people melt. I was somewhere, oh, I was at the hotel for the pastor's conference. And one of these women who, uh, she was a young woman, um, very poised, um, very efficient. But I could see, she had long sleeves, but I could see, like, just peeking out from her sleeves, like she had sleeves under her sleeves. And I was just, hey, nice sleeves. Now, this is not what she's expecting from a pastor, right? She's like, thank you very much. And you kind of think, here's the thing, fill in your blank. So right now, think of what you hate, Right? Like, is it that um, piercing in the tongue? It is weird to give the Eucharist to somebody. 
who's the body of Christ, and you're like, whoa, company. So, uh, you know, just think of what you hate, okay? Like, is it this, you know, or is it, what, what is it? Just think of what you, just think of what you, is it how people talk? Is it what they listen to? You know, just, just think about what it is. Uh, and then I just say to you, you know, welcome to the neat Christian A-list. You know it all. Because that person has a restless heart, too. And if you already will say, I mean, there is, there is an I'm better than you in this sense, right? Like, I know who good people are, and I know who bad people are. I can tell by the color of their skin, where the country they came from, uh, you know, how much money their parents have. Pick something. It's easy, right, to sort people out? Hmm. Except if you're a Christian, because... Jesus doesn't actually do that. See, now this is partly, think about America, okay? Everybody is sorting everybody out by tribe, not virtue. If you can see beneath the ink, beneath the pierce, beneath the color of people's skin, if you can see beneath where they come from or where they grew up or what they were against, if you can see beneath to virtue... And now, if you can keep them getting angry if people don't share the same virtues you share, right? If you can just pause for just a moment and remember that Jesus says, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel and everywhere else, right? Because if you Nathaniel somebody, you know, if you need Christian A-list them and you're a know-it-all and you, you know, you got it all figured out in advance, what really good are you to anybody? What good am I to anybody, right? Why would anybody come to church if they're going to be treated like that? And if they don't come to church, how are they going to get to the Eucharist? And if they don't come to the Eucharist, how are they going to bear the body of Christ in their body, the way Paul says, right? We had two kids, two girls, had their first Eucharist this morning. Both of them were stunning in their reverence and then their joy after. It was just fabulous. You're just like, it couldn't be better, right? So we got to them early, but not everybody will be like that. Take this story. Sometimes it's with grown-ups. Can anything good, um, you know, Philip says, come and see. At least he got a question, even if it was perhaps a bit rhetorical, um, right? We're big city folk around here. Nazareth? I don't know. Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said to him, Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. This is a great, actually a great compliment, right? So here's the guy who's already dissed Jesus. Jesus says to him, it's so interesting because he's hard on Jesus, and no guile means no treachery, no trap, no bait, not trying to trick you into anything, pure-heartedness. A strange thing to say for a guy who's just said, you're not worth a damn. All right, behold, an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Right? He gets extra credit for two questions in a row. Jesus answered, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, um, we don't know exactly what that means. We could ask Arthur, but we only have five minutes left, and his answers are guaranteed to go at least six minutes. So you are off the hook. <laughs> there are a couple of possibilities. Um, uh, I gave you a couple of them. Uh, one is, uh, August comes from Augustine, who says the tree of life was a fig tree. A fig tree was a valuable tree. If you had land, you would have one. Gave good shade and good fruit, so you, you like a fig tree. Um, so there's the speculation that the tree of life in the garden was a fig tree. 
and that when Adam and Eve sewed fig leaves together, it was this condescension that they knew their sin and um, they were just sort of blown up. So one way to interpret this would be, Nathaniel says, I'm a sinner. Another thing is, is there's um, a common Jewish refrain that you, um, to say somebody is under the fig tree is to say, it's somebody who's committed to studying scripture. It's an old rabbinic thing. There's even some quotes in the Old Testament about this, Psalm 32, I think, about um, being studying scripture you know, in the shade. Uh, that was your time quietly, you know, 6 a.m. on Saturday, pot of coffee, reading whatever. So that was their time. So another possibility is that he's saying to Nathaniel, I know you're serious about this. I know you're a guy who studies scripture. Or it could be something else. It's difficult. Either of those would work. Um, it's difficult to exactly say. Behold an Israelite in whom there is no guile. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? Jesus said, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathaniel said, Rabbi, you're the son of God. Now, this is just so interesting because Nathaniel, who couldn't be bothered with him 30 seconds ago, to say you're the son of God is about the kindest thing you can say to a person. Rabbi, first is, I put myself in submission to you. Second, son of God is a messianic title, which means I don't know exactly all about you, but you're delivering stuff that we've been waiting for a long time. You are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, both messianic titles. So there's, there's, this happens sometimes when you talk to people. You love them in a way that their heart flips immediately. When it happens, it's, it's wonderful. It doesn't always happen, but occasionally you'll have people whose, whose heart will go, and they're like, ah, I've been looking for that all my life. That's Nathaniel. Rabbi, so... I'm subservient to you. I'm your disciple. You're my rabbi. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel, which means whatever you tell me to do, I'm listening. I'm on board, right? And then Jesus sort of says, really? Is that you're easy, right? I'll tell you too. Nathaniel, Jesus answered him, because I said to you, um, I saw you under the fig tree. Do you believe? You're going to see bigger things than this, greater things. And he said to him, and this is, the, this is like if you want to seal it with an Israelite, this is what you say. Behold, you're going to see heaven opened up. Heaven is open, and you should be there. You're going to see heaven opened up and angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man, which you recognize as Jacob, who, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? So you remember Jacob stole the blessing from his brother. He was sent away into exile. And one night, when he's wandering around Herod, where Abraham used to live, he falls asleep with his head on a stone, and he has a dream, and he sees a ladder that connects heaven and earth, and the angels are ascending and descending on this thing. To which Jesus says, I'm it. Now, there's a couple of ways to interpret this. One is that Jesus is the connection, which would be very nice. He takes our troubles up to heaven and sends the angels back down with solutions. You know, this is, if I had enough time, I'd riff on why Lutherans shouldn't be afraid of angels. You know, since you have one right here and maybe one right here. I mean, some of you need a third one, probably, maybe one behind, right? Just say thanks to Jesus for your guardian angel today, even if you don't talk to him. What does Jesus say? All these little ones have an angel who will behold the face of God. You were little once, right? Your angel doesn't give up on you. 
So there is this thing. There's another way of talking about it where the ladder itself is up in heaven. And Jesus, fleshly person that he is, is in heaven. And so you look up to heaven and you see Jesus there with the angels surrounded by the angels. Which is to point you then towards the fleshly resurrection. Here's the thing. Either of those will work. The point of it is, is that Jesus connects heaven and earth and the gifts have just begun. That's the point. That Jesus is the one who connects heaven and earth. It's not in coding. It's not in a robot. Coding is a great thing. Robots are great things. Androids, have what you want, right? But the gift is in Jesus. Try to get beneath the static. Look for the virtue, right? Where will taking your daughter for ice cream when she's five take you? Where will encasing her in plastic for an hour to, or in plaster for an hour or two with a, with a straw up her nose, telling her not to cry and not to wet and not to move? Where will that take you? Right? Just ask yourself. This is, this is an old argument because we can do things should we do them, right? There's a tons of things we can do. You know, America is awash in things that can do, uh, in things that people can do and that they're doing. It's a flippant disaster in all directions. You can either be destroyed by that or moan about that or be depressed by that or be angry about that or hate other people, pick something. That would be tribe over virtue. What we're going for is virtue over tribe. See, listen to the epistle for today. These are the things that matter. Gentleness, patience, love. Look for these things in other people, despite what they look like, despite where they come from, despite if they're in the church or not. Right? If you just always surround yourself with neat Christian A-listers, you know, know know-it-alls, yeah, it's a nice club. And it doesn't do the work of God. Okay? It's, It's right there. It's in your grasp. And you don't have to know everything. In fact... Sometimes it's better if you be it, right? If you be loving rather than know about love. But I just kind of give you that assignment. Now, I still, you know, it's been three or four weeks I gave you that thing from Alan Jacobs, who appeared yesterday uh, on the Wall Street, and he wrote a, a reprise of his work in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. There was a, it was the middle editorial, last page, inside column. It was very interesting. Apparently, he's making a bit of a stir with this article. I still give it to you. Please read it. It's the way you should proceed with other people. Um, it's complete backup to this story, but I thought we'd do Jesus first and do that later. And yes, I did get all the way through the outline. I will see you next week. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Beauty. Love you all. Bring your friends to Oktoberfest. Can't go wrong. See ya.